Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome to the Too Much Steve version of our Sunday service. We are in Luke chapter 5 this morning, so I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, either in a printed form or on your phone or your tablet, or if you've got some of those fancy Google glasses, that would be cool. I'd love to see that after. If a uh, Bible's new to you and you would like to have one, we've got quite a number of them on the shelf at the back of the room, and we would invite you to grab one of those. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to skip around a little bit here and examine these cool stories that are in here. We're going to begin first with verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. Because he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they had landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So here we find Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And here's a picture of what the Sea of Galilee looks like today. And if we're being honest, like sea is a little bit of a misnomer here because it's only about 13 kilometers long. So you could fit just a little over two seas of Galilee inside of Lake Simcoe. So we're really finding Jesus on the shore of a small lake at the beginning here of chapter 5. And he notices a couple of empty boats. And here's a picture of what's called the Jesus Boat. This was discovered in 1996 along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and is believed to be at least somewhat similar to the kind of boat that Jesus would have sat in as he was teaching on this shore. So if you've ever wondered as you're reading through the Gospels and it talks about Jesus and the disciples traveling in boats, that's something, you know, without all the missing bits and pieces. That's something like what they were traveling in. So these are not big, big boats. So Jesus gets into one of these, and he sits down, and he begins to teach. We're not told in this chapter what Jesus taught, but after he's done, he turns to Simon, the owner of the boat, and he says in verse 4, Now go out where it's deeper, let down your nets again, and catch some fish. And there's a few weird things about what Jesus says here. First, and Simon identifies it straight off, fishing is done in the night and it's now the daytime. So he's done with his work. He's packing up. 
And second, fishing is done near the shore, not out in the deep part of the lake. So this would be a little bit like me going out into the parking lot back there, wandering across to the building site where they're putting up the new homes, oh, maybe around about 5 o'clock tomorrow afternoon when the crews are just putting their tools away, walking up to them and saying, hey, why don't you take the ladders and the tools back out, go over to that bungalow that you've been building there, and just hack on another, another top story. And they'd look at me like I was nuts, like I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. But that's just about how absurd it is that Jesus tells these guys to go back out into the boat, into the middle of the lake at that time of day, when and where fish just weren't supposed to be. Look at how Simon responds and what happens next. If you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And the next thing that Simon says is a little odd. Lord, please leave me, for I'm a sinful man. Kind of a strange response, isn't it? He's heard Jesus teach. Then he's seen this miracle happen with the nets overflowing with fish. And then he says to Jesus... Please get away from me. I'm a sinful person. I think what we're seeing here is that Simon is recognizing Jesus is some kind of holy person. He's attached to God. He's heard Jesus' words. He's seen this miracle that he can't explain. It's not natural causes. The fish were not supposed to be there. Jesus is a holy man. And somewhere inside of himself, Simon knows that God has been involved. He knows it's not in his own power to have the nets overflow during off fishing hours in the dark in the deep of the lake. And for a Jewish man of his time, there's only one answer. God had to be involved. And somehow, God was involved through this person who is Jesus. And then comes Jesus' really big ask, as if sending them out into the dark in the middle of the lake to catch more fish wasn't a big enough deal. Here's his big ask. And this is the beginning of Jesus' group of disciples. He turns to Simon and his partners, James and John, and he says, don't be afraid of what's happened here today. From now on, you'll be with me, and you're going to be catching people. And it's a different word with some different implications. If we go back to verse 4, where Jesus is telling them to go out and catch the fish, the word catch is agra, which just means a net full of fish. Plain and simple, a net full of fish. Here in verse 10, the word translated as catch is zagreo, which means to take alive and usually refers to people, not fish. So it's another bit of interesting wordplay used by Luke in his gospel. It's a fishing metaphor used with fishermen to make a point. It's describing their call to go off with Jesus and to do a new thing, leaving the fish behind and to work with people. 
And their response in verse 11 is simply, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The title of our message this morning is All In, and these guys were all in. Simon recognized that God is at work through Jesus, and these men also recognize that Jesus has been involved somehow in the miracle of the fish. They know it's not been their own skill, and Simon's also recognized that he is not a righteous enough man to stand before a holy man like Jesus. And this is important learning for us. Simon's qualifications to serve Jesus here came from knowing his own limitations and his needs and letting Jesus direct him. And I wonder, what would it look like for our church today? What would it look like for us to really recognize that we're in the presence of the holiness of Jesus? What would it look like for us to hear his words in such a powerful, salient way like that and to truly consider the great things that he is doing around us? Because he's every bit as active today as he was that day on the shore of the lake. You know, what would it look like in our context if new life were just to say in a collective voice together, okay, Lord, we're going to go Zagreo, catch around southern Georgian Bay, and then trust that you're going to orchestrate an overflow that will leave us busting at the seams. If you were here a couple of weeks ago at our annual general meeting, Paul spoke about the need to cast some vision for putting the gospel into new wineskins for a new time. We're coming out of, at least we hope, we're coming out of this time of pandemic. But the world has changed. It's not the same that it was before. COVID has changed it. Although, if I think we're honest with ourselves, the world was really changing before, and COVID just accelerated that. And we have to grapple with that as a church. To get the gospel into some new wineskins for a new time, what would it look like for new life to be all in and leave things to follow Jesus? Let's allow ourselves to be creative for a minute and imagine big. Let's imagine impossible. So if we can learn one thing from these few verses in Luke, it's that with Jesus, the impossible is possible. And that brings us down to verse 12. Let's read a little more here. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But Jesus' instructions... 
By, despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him and preach to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So we're here, we find this man who's just identified as a leper. And he's got an advanced case of leprosy, or he's covered in it, depending on which translation of the Bible you read. And in Jesus' culture, having leprosy was a really big deal. It was contagious, it was incurable, and it was considered by a lot of people to be a sign that the person had done something sinful. In any case, this man's an outcast. He's put away from the rest of his society. He is untouchable, both literally and figuratively. And it's quite remarkable that Jesus allows this man to approach him at all. And it's remarkable that the man would dare to speak anything to Jesus other than the warning to stay away that the law instructed. They were just supposed to stand there and shout, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to stay away. So let's have a look at how the leper approaches Jesus here in verse 12. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal and make me clean. The man bows down to Jesus and begs him for healing, if Jesus is willing. And I want us to notice something here. Like Simon in the first story, the leper seems to recognize something special about Jesus. He doesn't ask if Jesus can heal him. He asks if Jesus is willing to heal him. And I think there's a really important lesson in there for us in how we approach Jesus today. And this is hard. At least I find this hard it's hard for me to approach Jesus with that kind of faith. It's one thing in my head to say, okay, it's Jesus, and Jesus is Jesus, so he can do anything. In my heart and in my spirit, it feels a whole lot harder to boldly approach Jesus and say, Lord, if you're willing. And there's another hard thing in this story. And this is really critical for us to understand as Christ's church. In these gospel stories of Jesus' time ministering in person to people, he's there. He's interacting directly with folks. And he's not here physically to do that today. And that means that as his church... We need to take those passages of scripture about being salt and light in the world and about being his hands and feet really seriously. Because his hands and feet are not here physically for people to approach. Whose are? Ours are. So what would it look like for our church to be all in on letting people approach us as the hands and feet of Jesus. 
And yes, we want to be intentionally invitational about asking people into this space with us here on Sundays because there's lots of great things that happen here as we worship and learn together. And this is why you don't trust technology for these kinds of things. There we go. All caught up. But I want to suggest to us that being all in as approachable Jesus people needs to involve a whole lot more. Being all in involves some cost. What we need to understand about the story of the leper is the potential cost to Jesus in allowing the leper to approach him. It's the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus. A part of our belief is that Jesus is both a divine being and a human being. So he was a human being allowing another very sick human being to approach him. And beyond that, according to Jewish law, touching the leper would have caused Jesus to be declared unclean as well. So there was cost. Let's try to bring this forward into our context today. What if you turned up for church this morning and there was a person outside the front doors and they look like maybe they've been sleeping there for the night? So we walk up to check on this person. They say, I lost my job because I wasn't able to manage my bipolar disorder. I was couch surfing with friends but now I have COVID and I can't stay with them anymore. I'm cold, I'm hungry. If you're willing, you can help me. And if you say yes to this person, I'm willing, there's a cost, isn't there? There's risk. But all throughout the gospels, time and time again, we see that this is who Jesus is very much willing to have approach him. This is very much who Jesus is for. Those that are pushed to the margins of society, those that others are afraid of or drawing away from. There's another important aspect to draw out here because if we're thinking about being all in as Jesus' hands and feet, we need to know that he's not just sending us out over the edge of a cliff and hoping for the best as we take on risk and cost. Let's jump ahead for a moment to verse 17. One day... While Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men, they came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles, then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, 
your sins are forgiven. It's a story here of Jesus healing this paralyzed man. And during the exchange, Jesus says to him, young man, your sins are forgiven. And that's an outrageously bold statement for Jesus to have made. That is the jumping off of the cliff of just about all the things that Jesus could have said just then, especially given that the religious leaders were right there. There's a huge implication in what Jesus says there because to the understanding of everyone around him, only God can forgive sins. And if you're not God and you're claiming to do things that only God can do, that is straight up blasphemy. It would be like me pointing to this cross over here and saying, never mind what you've learned about Jesus saving work on the cross and in his resurrection. I, Steve, personally forgive your sins. I hope you would freak out. And you'd be right to do that because that would be blasphemy. This is how the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that's how they see it. Jesus has just claimed to do what only God can do. What Jesus knows that the Pharisees don't is that Jesus is acting with God's authority. He has the authority to do this. In fact, he says it out right here in verse 24. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And that's a title that Jesus uses for himself, Son of Man. Luke records this in his gospel no less than 25 times, always in Jesus' own words to describe himself. And it's a way for Jesus to draw from the Old Testament, you know, what the religious leaders and all the people of his day would have regarded as their scriptures, their Bible. So let's go back and see what Jesus is talking about from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He was given authority. So Jesus is self-identifying with this prophetic word from Daniel. It's messianic prophecy looking forward to the expected Messiah, who we understand to be Jesus, but these people were still waiting for. And they're saying, that person, that son of man is going to have authority. So when Jesus uses son of man to identify himself, he's saying, I'm the one who's come with authority, granted as God, foretold in your scriptures. And when Jesus has his own all-in moment and declares that he can forgive their sins, he's not jumping off the edge of the proverbial cliff. He's making the statement in full knowledge that he has the authority to do what he says. And when we're considering doing things that are all in. 
as Jesus' hands and feet in our own context, we have access to that same authority. Jump ahead with me to Luke chapter 9 for a second. This is verses 1 and 2. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus sends the disciples to share in his work of healing, but he grants them the authority to do it. And he sends us with what we need to be all in for him too. Jumping ahead once more to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, we hear this. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything our own. Our qualification or our sufficiency, depending on your translation, our sufficiency comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not written of laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. We can have confidence because our sufficiency, our qualification is from God through the Holy Spirit. And if you want to be inspired about how the Holy Spirit can be at work in us, I'd encourage you to check out our teaching from last week or check it out again if you want a refresher. You can do that by going to our website, hitting the media tab at the top, or you can hunt up our podcast wherever you like to listen to those. Well, so far we've learned that with Jesus, the impossible is possible. Jesus is willing to minister healing to those that everyone else pushes aside. And that Jesus has, and he extends to us as the church, authority and sufficiency to be his hands and his feet. With all of that in mind, what might it look like for each of us and us together as a church to demonstrate an all-in response to being approachable in the community around us as Jesus' hands and feet. So as you turn that question around in your minds, let's begin to wrap up by looking at chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. 
there's a little bit in your sermon notes that are extras that didn't fit into our teaching today about that chunk about the doctor. So I encourage you to, to read that, just a little bit of extra cultural context about the illustration Jesus is making there. But in these verses, we have this tax collector by the name of Levi, who we also know as Matthew. And he's sitting at the booth, and he's likely at a border post between uh, the, the territories of this guy, Herod Antipas, who we met back in Luke 3, and another governor by the name of Philip. And he's likely collecting customs fees on goods, kind of like we'd expect to pay when we're going across the Canada-U.S. border just without the duty-free shop. And the Jewish people hated these guys. I mean, I don't like paying a whole pile of taxes, but I don't hate people that work at the CRA. But the Jewish people hated these guys because they shook people down for more money than what they were supposed to. They were pretty much thieves padding their own wallets with other people's money. And I love the bluntness of this interaction between Jesus and Levi. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus says. And Levi gets up, leaves everything and follows. And I kind of have to imagine that Levi, just like Simon and the leper and the, guy, the guys who were carrying the paralytic, Levi recognizes something in Jesus here. And he's moved to take some bold action. He leaves his profession. He leaves behind his financial security. And there's little chance he's ever going to be able to come back to this job again. So this is a pretty permanent lifestyle change. He's clearly all in with Jesus. Now, in case you're worried about this, I'm not suggesting that for us to be all in for Jesus means that we have to leave our day jobs. That's not everybody's call. But I do want to suggest a couple of things. And the first is this. There are an awful lot of people in our community who desperately need someone to be Jesus' hands and feet. There are needs going unmet in lives right now. Because there's a lot of people that our society keeps out on the margins. They're pushed away because they're not comfortable people to be around. They have needs that we don't know what to do with. We're nervous about being with them. They need people to be shook up by Jesus and to make some bold, costly moves. The second thing is this. Knowing what we've learned today about God's provision of sufficiency or qualification for us to do the things that he calls us to do, I think there are moves that we can make. And I'm not going to prescribe for you what those might be. But here's what I would like us to do. I'd like us to close our eyes for a minute. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And then I'm going to leave you a little bit of silence to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about this.
So let's close our eyes and pray. God, as we're sitting here this morning, please grant us your heart for those around us who are in need. And as Jesus did, may we be open to receiving them and offering your healing. May we be willing to accept the cost of pouring out to others the love and the healing and the blessing you've poured into us. And God, we ask your Holy Spirit just in the silence of these next few moments to speak to us. Speak to us clearly what it means for each of us as individuals to be all in as the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what I'd like us to do in response. I want to invite you to head over to our website sometime this week and hit the all in button that's at the top or you can just type in newlifecollingwood.com slash all dash in. And there's a space there for you to share anonymously what you feel you've heard from the Spirit today. And then because we really value discerning the Spirit's voice together in community, talk to some people. Talk to some folks that you trust about what you feel you've heard from the Holy Spirit. And we'll find a way to share all those ideas that you submit with you in the days ahead. So stay tuned for that. I want to thank you for being here this morning, even for the Too Much Steve edition of our service. For those of you on the way out who like to give financially in person, there is a box at the back for you to be able to do that. Thank you all of you for your generous giving that allows us to do things as Jesus' hands and feet in our community. Looking ahead to this week as we go, we've got some stuff for senior high students on Tuesday night, junior high students on Wednesday night, and a group for parents of infants and toddlers here at New Life on Thursday morning. Uh, Paul mentioned about the celebration of life service for our sister Lillian, so I do invite you to pull out the sweaters and the socks and the things that Lillian has knit for so many of us and join us to celebrate her life on Saturday morning at 11. Have a great week, everyone.